Welcome to the Human Resources for Small Business podcast, presented by Zenium HR. I'm your host, Brandon Laws. Whether you're an HR professional or a small business leader, each episode of this podcast is designed to bring you the latest in technical HR and leadership at your convenience. More content is available on our website at www.zeniumhr.com. Let's dive into today's topic. Welcome to the Human Resources for Small Business Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Laws. Hey, just a reminder, you can connect with me on Twitter. I'm at Brandon Laws. Connect with Zenium on Twitter, Zenium HR, uh, spelled with an X. Uh, we're on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. Feel free to connect with me. I love when uh, people connect and, and reach out and just mention what you like about the podcast or don't like. All that feedback's great and it helps shape our future podcasts because uh, we're going to keep this thing going because this is for your education. In today's episode, I interview Beth Genley. She holds her graduate degree from Yale University School of Nursing and now she leads the coaching and consulting company Burnout Solutions. And this episode is all about burnout. Uh, And I think you're going to learn a lot about the subject if you've never heard about it before, or maybe you have. Beth is a wealth of knowledge. She actually co-authored Save Yourself from Burnout, a system to get your life back, along with Dr. Marnie Loomis. Their book is releasing on October 8th, 2017. In this episode, Beth is just great. And we talk about recognizing burnout and what to do about it, and how you can help other people. So this is a great uh, discussion, and I'll get out of the way so you can enjoy it. Thanks. Hey, Beth, it's so great to have you in the podcast. Welcome. Thanks, Brandon. Glad to be here. Beth, so you wrote the book, uh, you co-authored the book, Save Yourself from Burnout, A System to Get Your Life Back. That's releasing on October 8th. Is that right? That's correct. So I had a chance to read this and I thought it was very fascinating. I didn't realize burnout was such an issue. What, it's huge. Yeah. And it, I, I've heard it come up, but I just didn't realize that people are going through this. And I think you laid it out very well in the book. Why did you write this book in the first place? Did you experience something that happened in your professional life that like kind of drew you to this topic? I've actually been through burnout three different times. Wow. Once in grad school... Uh, once when I was in healthcare, and once when I was running a a small business as an entrepreneur, uh, three different sort of styles of burnout, yeah, but miserable so. every time. Yeah, are there high risk professions when it comes to experiencing burnout? Because I mean, those are three different things: school, healthcare, business owner. Like, what what are common? Well, burnout was originally studied in the helping professions. They thought that's where they'd find it, and they sure did. Everybody from social workers to doctors to nurses to psychologists to um, you know volunteers in, in uh, helping profession organizations. When you experience the burnout yourself, like how much time passed before you obviously address the burnout, which we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But you addressed your burnout, hopefully you fixed all those issues, and then decided, you know what, this is an issue people are going through. I need, I need to do something about it to help people. Like, What was that whole thought process? I, I will answer that in one second. I had one more sentence on who experiences burnout. They have um, studied 
a whole bunch of different professions since that helping professions initial thought in the last 40 years of studying burnout. And it turns out it turns up in most professions from hotel managers to uh, banking and finance people to even grocery checkers. It's very, very widespread. So for me, when I went through burnout, I did not know it was widespread. I couldn't tell if my coworkers were experiencing it, although I suspect now many of them were. And I felt awful. I felt like a wimp. I thought maybe I had some special character flaw beyond my usual ones that was causing burnout. I, I was afraid to talk about it. I was pretty sure there was a stigma attached to it. So when I met Dr. Marnie Loomis, who's my co-author, and she said there were four decades of research on burnout, I said, oh, my goodness, let's talk. And that's how it all started. (laughs) That's interesting. So with burnout, does it just happen? Like like one day you're not burned out and then the next day you are? Or does (laughs) it like slowly compound over time until you reach the point where you just you you really feel the symptoms? It sneaks up on you. Mm The way that we describe it in the book is you can kind of think of it as a uh, repetitive stress, a repetitive use injury, and it's an injury of the parts of you that deal with stress. So when overwhelming stress is a constant in your life and you don't have really good tools to deal with it, you get more and more and more miserable, uh, fatigue being the most common prominent symptom. The example I think you use later in the book, uh, which I hear a lot, is the the boiling frog, right? It's you you, yeah. you turn up slowly, slowly until it reaches a point where the frog doesn't even know it's boiling to death. And I think like that, that that's a great example for for this topic is is you may be experiencing all these things until it just becomes so overwhelming, right? And I think that's yes. what a lot of people go through. Yes. And you end up feeling non-functional, even as you're pushing yourself to do more and more and more. So the other example that we use in the book is we have this lovely little drawing of a of a donkey whose cart that he's pulling is so overloaded that he's just up in the air. He's been lifted completely up in the air, or she, whoever it is, and it's just hanging there thinking, okay, this is my life now, I guess. And, and really wondering how it got there. And that's how it feels sometimes. It's so funny that you mentioned the, the donkey illustration, because I actually wrote that down as I wanted to ask you about that. Just, <laughs> just the fact that we, we reach a certain capacity where it's just it's it's too much. And we don't yes. realize it until it's it's too late. Because yes. the donkey's in the air, it's over levered, right? And it's like, well, you need help. How do you get how do you get back down? Like somebody, right. needs, somebody right. needs to help you lighten the load, right? <laughs> So, and from the point of view of a manager who is managing that donkey, uh, so to speak, can you imagine how much good it would do for the manager to go to the donkey and say, look, you have not been performing up to your full capacity and I really need you to step it up again yeah. while the donkey's hanging there in midair. Yeah, exactly. If you don't recognize the burnout, you end up with interventions that don't help. So like personally, I, I often have stressful days. I think listeners could agree with that statement. Sure. They, they have stressful days, but I want to make the distinction and, and I hope you can help me with this. So if I'm experiencing a stressful day or, you know, it lasts a few days and things are not going well, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm burned out, does it? Like, so how do you determine uh, the distinction between burnout and just, you know, a regular stressful day? 
stress is a given, right? Life is full of stress. And in fact, many of us choose very challenging professions on purpose mm -hmm. because we like the challenge. We want to make a big difference. And we, we go for things that are hard. And that is that is a wonderful thing. And it also means that some days are going to be frustrating or difficult or or aggravating or whatever. The difference with burnout is that you reach the point where you feel so tired, you can hardly, it feels like bone deep weariness. You stop being able to connect with other people very well. And you start wondering if it, there's any point to what you yeah, do. Yeah, well, that's, uh, so, that's it's, so sad. Yeah, it is. It's miserable. What are some of those other warning signs? Like obviously not wanting to get out of bed to go to work might be a sign. What sure. are some what are some other things? Crankiness is a very prominent one. Uh, isolation of someone who doesn't normally isolate themselves. This may be a little harder to detect, but people who are the word comes to mind presenteeism. Yeah. There was a point when I was working when I was hiding in my office playing free cell. And whenever anybody would knock on my wow, door, yeah. I would turn it off and paste a smile on my face and, and <laughs> oh. function, right? Oh and as soon as they went away, I go back to playing free cell. And uh, someone coming to tell me you can't do that anymore would not have been enough to address the problem. So uh, presenteeism, because I hear this this word a lot, and I just want to kind of define it for people. It, it basically means where you're you're present in the office, but you're not like present in terms of like being productive. You're just sort of there. Exactly. You're just kind of filling a seat. Like in, in your case, you were you were playing free cell on, on the clock. <laughs> yes, yes. So uh, presenteeism is often referred to as an issue of people coming to work ill, uh, yeah. with a cold or whatever, uh, where yeah, they can't really function. Uh, the thing is that colds are contagious and burnout is too. So that's something that's not generally understood about it. Oh, yeah, explain that. Burnout's contagious. How, how so? Because because we're really tuned into other people's emotions and other people's behavior. And when we are cranky and miserable and exhausted and dragging at work. We tend to complain uh, about it's often people exteriorize the problem. They say, oh, well, management this and management that and nobody cares and blah, blah, blah. So the, the venting that can happen and the, uh, the general misery can get picked up as a tone in the office, especially if you're a manager, but also if you're a person on a team. Which is not to say that management is never at fault, but there's a lot that people can do as individuals. Let's let's hone in on the individual <laughs> part because sure. the uh, your whole book, like I think the meat of it is uh, you talk about the what you call the burnout shield, and, and you and your co-author created this, uh, and I think this is a really a self awareness check if I if I remember right, and just uh, what it's meant to do. So you basically have all these assessments that you would take. Uh, in different categories, and then you'd basically plot your points on this burnout shield. Explain that process and just what somebody's supposed to do with this burnout shield to help kind of fight the burn, or to, for one, recognize the burnout they're, they're experiencing and to realize what their tendencies are in terms of self-care long-term. So we did exactly hone in on the individual because in many cases, uh, businesses, 
can't change for financial reasons or there's policy reasons or it's just that the work we've chosen is indeed very challenging and very stressful and difficult. So there's five areas to the burnout shield and all five of them are pulled from that 40 years of research that I mentioned. The first one is self-care, which is the one that people mostly mention for burnout, you know, eating better, getting more rest, um, watching your blood sugar, uh, getting out and getting a walk, getting in nature, those kinds of things. That's what people generally talk about for burnout. But we have four more areas. The next one is reflection and recognition. And that's where you remember to reflect on your own values and what went well for you today. Reflect on gratitude. That actually makes a huge difference in your brain functioning. And also recognizing yourself for a job well done or a job well progressing. A lot of the work that we do is never done done, and a lot of work that we do is long-term projects that, that we can't say, oh, I finished this today because it'll be weeks or months, right? But we can say, I moved this forward. So that's reflection and recognition. The next one is capacity, and I had a very interesting experience with a, a go-getter professional I was working with last week, and she drew her burnout shield for me, and for of her areas were either adequately protected or well protected, her capacity was just completely overwhelmed. She had filled her plate too full. So even though she was doing a lot of the right things, she still was doing too much and she just had to make some space in her life. Did she so reckon did she recognize that at the at the time or did it take the burnout shield to recognize that like, wow, okay, I'm over over capacity at this point? She knew she felt miserable, but sitting down to draw the shield and try it wasn't so much that she didn't know she was over capacity it's that she didn't know what she should do about it and in drawing the shield and saying you know i'm actually doing all the right things but i still have too much on my plate uh for her for her particular challenges at home her health challenges all of that it's going to be different for different people right so that's the third area's capacity the fourth one is community so reconnecting with mentors and friends and, and with people at work. And the fifth one is coping styles, which is kind of the hardest one to get your head about, but it can around, but it can make a big difference. Love it. So, so when people end up, you know, going through the assessments, they draw their burnout shield, they realize what areas they're lacking in. What do they then do with that information? What do you, what do you propose that they do with it? Well, the first thing is to notice what you're doing well. Uh, the the generally when people draw their burnout shield they discover you know actually I go running every day I eat well I do sleep well it's some of these other areas that are an issue or wh however their burnout shield shapes takes place it's really important to recognize hey I, I'm I'm doing okay in some of these areas and give yourself credit for that the second one is you know I was so focused on getting stuff done that I dropped over the side, some of the things that I used to do that reduce my stress. And I could easily add back in my Wednesday night trivia game with my friends that I used to love, that I dropped because it seemed frivolous, but it actually turned out to be a huge stress reliever for me. So I'll just add that back in so that my life's a little more balanced. And then the third thing is to notice on your shield where 
you really didn't know that you needed to pay attention in that area or it's been a very long time since you have. And the worst area is the one that you're probably going to want to try to expand a bit by taking some of the suggestions from the book. I want to hone in on a couple areas of the burnout shield. And then, you know, we don't want to go over everything because I want people to read the book because there's a lot of great information on there. I want to hone in on two areas, coping styles and self-care. First, first coping styles. I find that, you know, when you're when you have a stressful day and then or, or you're experiencing burnout, you you may cope in various ways. What are you finding that people like are there buckets of people like how they're how they cope? Um, like they may fall into one area or the other. And what are some styles of coping that you find? There's a lot of them, but two of the basic ones, and people tend to, to separate out into this, are either emotion-focused coping or problem-focused coping. And, I, and they're both highly appropriate in certain situations, but we tend to zoom in on one and use it in all situations. Many of us do. So for emotion-focused coping, it would be looking at how I feel about this, how I got myself into this situation in terms of my emotions, how other people are dealing with it emotionally, trying to find an emotional tone that you can take that would make the situation better. For primarily emotional situations such as grief or joy, that's entirely appropriate. For the problem-solving one is where you look at everything as how can I solve this? And that is not appropriate in emotion-focused situations, right? It's very appropriate in situations where you can back up and say, okay, this is really upsetting me, but there is actually an underlying problem. The upset serves to notify me that this is a problem that bothers me more than I realize. How can we address this? What are the components of the problem that could be addressed? And people tend to fall into one bucket or, or the other and prefer it. And realizing, hey, I can back up here and see if the other coping style fits the situation can be a great first step. So, so you mentioned like one pe- uh, people tend to fall in one bucket or the other, but what it sounds like is that people almost should take it on a case by case basis. Like if there's something that's emotionally driven, they should cope with that area uh, as an emotional coping style versus like, if it's just an issue, a problem cope with it a a different way. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yes. That, that if you happen to be one of those people that tends to handle your life from one style just realize there are two styles and see if the other one fits better in in some of the situations you're working with. What are some bad habits that people developed in terms of just coping in general? Maybe they don't recognize if it's an emotional or a problem-solving uh, style, but what are, what are some bad habits that people tend to have in periods of burnout? I would say one of the biggest ones, which I've mentioned a little bit before, is is venting. And I want to differentiate this carefully from verbal processing. There are many of us, and I am one, where I hardly know what I think or feel until I've had a chance to talk about it a bit. So verbal processing is just necessary for me to know what's going on and where I need to focus. Venting is just complaining. Yeah. And it's... it's a uh, it's often a social style. People do it to be 
to, as a way of connecting, actually, yeah. but it has a, a a very bad effect on on themselves and on organizations. Well, and you mentioned like there's a contagiousness to burnout. Maybe that's one of those things. If, if people yes. are venting that, oh, wow, okay, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and exactly. vent, vent with you and then it just perpetuates. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So walking away from those situations or changing the subject would be a great way or changing your mental subject if it's you that's venting. The other area I wanted to kind of cover was self-care. I think this is where, I think to your point earlier, this is where people tend to default to. It's like, okay, what do I need to do in terms of self-care to get myself back on track? There are three areas I wanted to just talk about. You you actually list a, a ton of elements in the book, mm-hmm. which I think were great. First, I wanted to talk about sleep. This is a huge one. I, I struggle with this all the time. You put a story in there in the book about early in your career as a nurse and midwife, like you just lack sleep. And I think you were just probably so mission driven to a certain extent, yes. like you, you just wanted to help people and you were willing to get up at 2, 3am to go deliver a baby or whatever it needed. But you, you sacrificed your sleep. Talk mm-hmm. about that story and what you did to kind of break that cycle. Well, I'm. Uh, that was a very predominant issue for me through most of my career. So really? I'm not quite zooming in on what uh, which of the stories you're talking about, but <laughs> I, I had a car accident at one point. That was one of the issues that was kind of a wake up call to me. So I, I had pushed myself so hard on the, the sleep issue that I ran a red light at three in the morning in an intersection that I thought was empty and got T-boned and luckily was not seriously injured, but it was just luck. So this is very common that people don't get enough sleep, usually not in the crazy way that that uh, healthcare providers sometimes get into, but people stay up too late, they work varying shifts. And there has to be a really, a very conscious commitment to getting enough sleep and, and rearranging your life so that sleep becomes a priority. And when you do that, you become a much nicer, much smarter human being. Lately, I've been, you know, listening to a lot of podcasts with like entrepreneurs who are like, oh, I only sleep three, four hours a night and I'm, you know, I'm hustling and I'm killing it. Do you buy that? Like, do do you think somebody could really be productive on four hours of sleep? You know, it's surprising, but the research says no. Uh, We, 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 the, the research is fascinating because they short people on sleep, even just making them have six hours of sleep instead of eight. And they do cognitive tests and reaction tests and judgment tests, and they get worse every day that they have this poor amount of sleep. But when they ask them how they're doing, those same people will say, you know, the first day was tough, but then I got into the swing of it and I'm doing just fine. I know how to manage this. I'm okay. So there's a, there's a cognitive problem that happens in your brain where you start sort of protecting yourself against your own incompetence, as it were. So there's, there's a, a huge sort of, you get boasting rights if you're not sleeping much and pushing it crazy, crazy hours, but you end up making judgment, bad judgment calls and having accidents and generally getting in trouble with, with that, uh, that, and the older you are, of course, the worse it gets. So, so you do th- probably think it's entirely possible that, that there's one out of a hundred or a thousand people could function okay on four hours of sleep, but 
but for them to say, oh, everybody can operate on four hours of sleep is probably, it's, it's, it's not true, right? That's, that's correct. That's what the research <laughs> says, that there okay. is somewhere between one in a hundred and one in a thousand. Uh, and most people think it's more like one in a thousand who actually can function well yeah. on four hours of sleep at a time. But most of the rest of us will flunk those objective tests. Let's talk about food. Uh, I'm always interested in hearing what people say about just food intake, what kind of foods you should be having to, to, to fight either fight burnout or to prevent it altogether. What do you recommend? Well, um, nutrition is, is a little bit, uh, fraught as a topic, (laughs) I think, but there are some basics that you can certainly pay attention to. One is that people who are go-getters who are really pushing themselves tend to eat very irregularly. They work straight through meal times, and when your blood sugar drops, and also when you get dehydrated, again, you get into these cognitive areas where you're more at risk of making a mistake or having an accident or getting ill. So just managing your blood sugar well enough to not fall into these big dips. And of course, if you have a blood sugar issue, such as diabetes or hypoglycemia, it becomes absolutely critical. So that's the first thing. And managing your blood sugar means eating healthy food, not candy bars. Yeah. The second thing that I am kind of obsessed with because it made such a huge difference in my life is eating enough fruits and vegetables. There is a tremendous amount of research that says that your immune system is far more competent when you are eating a rainbow of fruits and veggies every day. And uh, that means 10 servings a day of fruits and veggies at different colors as well. So challenge yourself to eat fruits and veggies at every meal and every snack. It's not always possible to do, but every time you can, you're, you're doing your body a favor. And that makes a huge difference in being able to function in difficult situations. I'm vaguely remembering this was in your book, but forgive me if it wasn't. Uh, In your profession uh, as a nurse, you talked about, you know, when you're sort of burning out towards the end of your shift, you're in the middle of the night, you're a healthcare professional. You you know that you need to eat healthy, but yet you go to the vending machine and you get a sugary snack and it's like, you know, you get a blast of sugar. You're going to be good for like 20 minutes and then you're going to crash, you know, it's not just healthcare professionals that experience that, but like we, I think we all do it. We just want to blast of sugar or caffeine or right. whatever it is. What what can we do to like fight that cycle of of <laughs> like going to sugary snack for just a burst of energy, even if it's temporary? Well, the first thing I want to say about that is to recognize, besides the burst of energy, sugar and chocolate both have anti-pain effects Mm. that are very temporary, but they do have them. I didn't know Uh, that. Yeah, so anti-pain, anti-depression. So it it, it actually gives you a boost in a number of areas very short term. Then it drops you, and then you have this cycle that's even worse, and it also is hugely challenging for your immune system to be eating that way. But I think it's helpful to actually know why those things are so incredibly tempting in a moment when you're already very stressed and, and, and pushing hard. So what I recommend is that you do some thinking about how you can have snacks in your office that you can grab 
that are high fiber, high protein, uh, made with healthy foods that, you know, starting with an apple, right? And maybe some peanut butter uh, that it is not loaded with palm oil that uh, can help you get through a tough time in a way that keeps your blood sugar level rather than making it spike and drop. Good points. I like that. Okay. There's also a lot of healthy um, uh, snack bars out there. You have to look for them a bit. A lot of them are just loaded with sugar oh, yeah. and fat, but there's a lot of healthy ones. They're not the same as a healthy meal, but they're better than a candy bar. I want to touch on physical movement. It's just kind of like the last piece of self-care. Uh, so physical movement, a lot of a lot of people nowadays, they sit in an office all day. Uh, I'm I'm one of those people. Uh, I sit most of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try to get up as much as I can. What do you, What do you recommend just to make sure that you're getting moving, get the blood flowing, and you know you know you're just not having a sedentary lifestyle all the time? Well, the, uh, I am, I confess in the book that I am one of those people that is not a natural exerciser. I don't really enjoy it all that much. But as a nurse, I have to say that the research is absolutely incontrovertible. So the first piece is just moving where you sit, even, you know, moving your shoulders, having a little 20 seconds of dance moves right where you're sitting can do an amazing amount to shift your mood and your energy. It's worth just building that in. I'm doing that right now. Yeah, there you go. And I just did it too. And it okay. really shifts my energy. I yeah. feel all of a sudden happier. I had a big smile on my face as I was doing it. <laughs> there you go. It's it's amazing how much difference it makes. We were made to move whether we, we are get used to the sedentary lifestyle or not. The second thing is uh, there's a lot of talk about interval training. Even very sedentary people who haven't moved in a long time can do interval training. What it means is when you go out for a walk, you speed up for 20 seconds and then you slow down again until your breathing normalizes. And then you speed up again for 20 seconds and then you slow down again until your breathing normalizes. This is hugely beneficial for your system and not hard to do. And then the last thing is to find some app if you're game focused There are a ton of them out there. I have friends who adore Zombie Run. I'm a Pokemon freak, to tell you the truth. I will walk way out of my way to catch a new Pokemon. And, you know, it's silly. It's absurd. But it it makes me take extra steps. So I'm happy with it. Yeah, I love that. So some people listening, in fact, there's probably a lot of people listening. uh, They're HR professionals, small business leaders. They maybe experience burnout themselves. But they may be supporting a lot of people who are dealing with this every day and may may or may not know about it. How do we, as you know, those those people, HR professionals, small business leaders, how do they play a role in supporting others that are you know on the verge of burning out or if they're already there, and what can they do to help? Well, there are several good things. The first one I would say is opening up the conversation. Burnout is quite prevalent in many professions, and people are very afraid to talk about it. And sharing some accurate information about what burnout is and what it is not can be extremely valuable to people, a great relief. It's, it's, it's amazing how much people can feel better if they realize, oh, I'm not a wimp. I don't have a character flaw. This is a natural response to overwhelming long-term stress. The second one, of course, as HR professionals, is looking at policies and culture behaviors that uh, may be promoting burnout. So you talked about this entrepreneur who 
was boasting about, I only get four hours of sleep a night. If that person is leading a team, that person is setting a tone for their entire organization, which is counterproductive. So taking a look at those kinds of, of tone setting, because people tend to do what their managers do, not what they say they should do. <laughs> so looking true. at that one. Yeah. And then looking at things like, does the company have a policy of restricting after hours communications to emergencies? Oh, but I could never not take care of an emergency at night. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying is restrict. <laughs> you would want to take care of an emergency. That's but totally you don't true. need to be responding to relatively routine emails yeah, in the evening and that kind of thing. And also to really leave people alone on their vacations. They should not be working on their vacations. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I think both sides have to play a role in that. It's like somebody who's taken vacation, they should learn to shut it off and separate. Mm -hmm. But then all the other people need to be able to respect it. And I, I think uh, the behaviors go, go both ways. And I think they could each learn from each other a little bit and learn tendencies. So I, I totally get that, though. So that's why we focused on the individual in our book, because there is so much on both sides. And there's a lot out there about what organizations can do to reduce stress for their employees and uh, less out there on what we can do if we choose a high stress profession to keep ourselves uh, functional and happy. Well said. Beth, I really enjoyed this conversation. Your book, I did too. Save Yourself from Burnout, it releases on October 8th. Mm -hmm. what, what can people do right now to go get it or pre-order it or any other resources just to learn more about the book? Well, for pre-order, if you go to saveyourselffromburnout.com, we actually have some uh, free bonuses. If you buy an individual copy, there are three free bonuses that you can get for pre-ordering. And if you buy a bunch of copies for your organization, then you get some free uh, quality time with, with me and your organization, which is really uh, quite useful. So check out saveyourselffromburnout.com. Also, on that website, we are offering a four-page handbook that's a quick start handbook that has some of the concepts that we've been talking about today to help people get started. If stress is overwhelming them, they can download this free handbook and a video that goes with it and, and get started in about 15 minutes. Beth Genley, thank you for being part of the podcast. I, I really wish you the best success with this book. Thanks for joining Thanks us. Thanks so much, Brandon. Thanks for listening to the Human Resources for Small Business podcast. Subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our blog at www.zeniumhr.com forward slash blog and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn to hear about the latest in HR and leadership. The information on today's episode is for educational purposes only and should not be taken as legal or customized advice for you or your organization. This podcast is hosted and fully produced by Brandon Laws, that's me, and created and owned by Zenium Resources, Inc. For more information or to contact us, visit www.zeniumhr.com 